All right. So I was away last week, and I know that Johnny continued casting vision for a, a new series that we're putting together that relates to the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to continue in Acts chapter 2. And I know that some of you were able to get an outline when you came in. Uh, not an outline, actually. It was just a, I wanted you to see the scripture in Acts chapter 2. So if you got one of those, you can follow along on the back. But if you didn't, uh, turn in your Bible, dial it up in your smartphone, whatever you need to do to go to Acts chapter 2. You know, when you talk about the Holy Spirit, Jesus said something really interesting preparing his disciples. He said, I tell you, it's to your advantage that I go away. Can you imagine standing there with the disciples that day? And Jesus said, it's better for you that I leave. <laughs> and he's going, wait a minute. I mean, we left everything to follow you. What do you mean it's better that I, I leave? He said, because if I'm with you, I'm in one place at one time. But if I go away, I will send the helper to come to you. And the great thing this morning that we can see in the lives of believers all over the world for the last 2,000 years is we don't have to go to a particular place to find out if Jesus is there. But not only do we see in creation the one who made everything, but we see as followers of Christ the indwelling presence of his spirit to guide and to lead us. Now today, before we jump into Acts chapter 2, I want to ask you a question, and it's really a silly question, but I just want to remind you that probably every one of you this morning looked in a mirror. Now some of us may say you should have looked again before you left the house, you know, but I mean, come on, you looked in a mirror, right? I mean, some of you combed your hair. I didn't have to worry about that. I had to see if I had any little stray hairs that I had to get rid of, right? But you looked in the mirror to see if anything as best you could needed to be adjusted. Did you know that the Bible refers to believers coming together and opening the Bible is like a mirror? When James was writing, he said, look, I don't want you just to be hearers of the word. I want you to be doers of the word. And don't be like somebody who just looks in the mirror and then forgets what they saw. But do something about it, right? Same way with the scripture. When we look into God's word, he's going to show us something about ourselves. But when he shows us something about ourselves, he does it so that we can adjust ourselves to know how to walk with him. So this morning as we jump into this scripture... I just want to remind you how it ended last week in Acts chapter 2. They accepted the message. They were baptized. Meaning as they started following Christ, they gave a public profession. That's all that the baptismal water means. It doesn't get you clean. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not that you've got to take a bath uh, publicly to prove to everybody you're following Jesus. But by being baptized, you're identifying that when he died, he was dying for your sin. When he was raised, he was raised to give you new life. And it says that all of these who heard the word about the resurrected Christ and the coming of the Spirit, they were baptized. And that day, there were a few thousand that were added to their number. So today, as we start to look into the scripture, let's treat it like a mirror. Because I'm going to ask you, 
I'm going to ask you a couple of things. I'm going to ask you to look at it for yourself, and I'm going to ask you to look at it for all of us. I went back through my notes, and I saw where I had preached this almost two years ago to the date. But there are some passages that just need to be regularly reviewed because we need to know this is what God's got in mind. And what we're going to see this morning in Acts chapter 2, I, I like, I don't know exactly who Johnny was quoting, but I, I like what he's often said. The book of Acts is not given as something that God prescribes for us, but it's God describing his people. It's not prescriptive, it is descriptive. So we're going to look. Watch how God describes his work. And this morning, I'm going to ask you to do a little inventory. And I want you to do it for yourself, but I also want you to do it for us together as the people of God. What attitudes, what activities, what do we see taking place here that we recognize that we need in our life? So before we look in the mirror together, would you pray with me? Father, today we come and we ask you to be our teacher. We ask you to take your word and make it very real and make it personal as we look to see how you worked when the Spirit gave birth to the church. Let us see as we are the people of God that we need to be so in tune with your Spirit that these kinds of things are happening in our life because we want to follow you and we want to follow you together. So speak to us, Lord. We invite you as we pray a simple prayer. Lord God, speak to my heart. Would you pray that out loud with me? Lord God, speak to my heart. And Lord, as you speak, we'll know that it's you. So we listen for your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was calling you back together, I don't think I adequately thanked you for praying for us last week. We were leading a mission conference up in North Carolina. God blessed the time together with those students, and we really saw God work. And it was encouraging to me to know that so many of you were praying for us during those days of last weekend as we led them together. Now today, we come to see a brand new church. I mean, this church had just been birthed by the Holy Spirit. The promised spirit that Jesus told them about came down and indwelled the people. And they as followers of Christ, we see described here what they did together as the church. You know, sometimes we'll be sitting in staff meeting and we'll be talking about our dreams and our prayers and looking at the health of our church and what we're longing for. And there are times I think, I wonder if they know what we want them to do. I mean, do they know what we as leaders think would be the right way to be the church? I mean, do they have a, a vision? Do they have a glimpse? Do they have a goal? Do they have a drive of where they're headed? I mean, it's very clear if you're going to create a culture and a workplace, you've got to have stated attitudes and directions that you're wanting to see happen among those who work there. What about the culture of a church? What are we expecting? What are we longing for? What do we want to see in your lives? This passage gives us a glimpse 
of some of the attitudes and the activities that ought to be present in the people of God. Notice it starts, and I, I wanted you to all have a handout. I know that some of you didn't get one, but I wanted you to be able to draw and color. And you know, I, I don't know if you're comfortable doing that in your Bible in your lap. So, but if you would follow these words first, let's just walk right through the text. Let's just go right through what it says. Then we'll circle back and see if we can align it of what we need. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching devoted themselves they were committed to it they longed for it does that describe us that we're hungry for the scripture that we're devoted to the apostles teaching side note apostles teaching yeah remember these were the ones that had been with Jesus and so they were explaining what Jesus said remember he promised that when the spirit comes he's going to remind you of these things I've said and he's going to bring to your remembrance all that I've taught you so can you imagine those first followers of Jesus coming together saying okay he's gone now the spirit's in us what do we do how does this work so the apostles started teaching them and they were devoting themselves to the apostles teaching they were devoted to the fellowship the fellowship well that same word is used a a little later And it's talking about the breaking of bread. And notice it mentions breaking of bread and prayers. And then it mentions breaking of bread in their homes. Now, if you've grown up in a Baptist church, you probably only heard the word fellowship used when there was a food modifier of some kind, right? We're going to have a pizza fellowship. We're going to, you know, we're going to have a chili fellowship. What are we going to do? We're going to get together and we're going to have some food together and we're going to fellowship together. Food required. Well, that's been a weird thing about these last months of COVID. So what are we going to do? Well, we're not going to have any food <laughs> because we, we know we're not going to be doing that. Uh, how, do, how do we prepackage it? Remember one time we did a little prepackage and, and gave away little things that everybody could pick up their own little individual item. But they were devoted to coming together to study the scripture, to break bread this breaking of bread, some have tried to say that it was talking about the Lord's Supper. Could have been. If you've ever heard anybody teach this and they were convinced that's what it was, I'm not going to sit here today and disagree with them, all right? But I'm not going to tell you that it has to be that. This breaking of bread, this sharing of a meal, this coming together, perhaps saying, remember how Jesus taught us that his body was broken for us? But they were coming together devoted to the teaching, devoted to fellowship, and devoted to prayer. Now, notice it says, and the prayers. (laughs) You know, it's sometimes really weird to me to hear people talk about praying. If I can just be real candid, I hope that's not you, and I hope you're not offended, okay? But when somebody says, sending prayers your way, I'm thinking, really you ought to be sending them toward heaven you know you shouldn't be sending them toward me I mean what do you mean I mean what are these the prayers okay what was he talking about well there was a regular prescribed time that the Jewish people would be going to the temple and they would be going to go over the seasons of prayers you you may not can picture it today but I know we've learned enough about Islam and the culture of Muslims and we've seen the pattern that is constantly followed We come now to think these are brand new Jewish followers of Jesus and people are going to the temple with regularity to pray and now when they're going to pray they've got something else entirely in mind. 
I always get a little worried when a rabbit comes in my head if I ought to chase it or not for a second. Well, let, me, let me just chase one, all right? New missionaries, new cultures, and they go into a place where people are worshiping a different way. And they'll come to the missionary and say, if, if we're going to follow Jesus, can we still go to the temple? You say, well, that's, that's kind of a tricky question. Uh, of course you can go to the temple, but remember how you pray and why you pray and how it works. It's always hard for a missionary to tell somebody when to face persecution and die, all right? It's always a difficult thing in these other places to describe it. These brand new believers, they were Jewish followers of Jesus, and they were regularly going to pray the scripture says they were together in the temple and they were together house to house. But let's keep going. They, they were filled with awe. I don't know if you caught it, but it was in at least one of the songs you were singing today. Awe. What is awe? It's the way a southerner says awe. You know, I mean, what, what is awe? It's majestic. It's breathtaking. They were filled with awe, wondering about the presence of God, the majestic presence of God. May I stop for a moment and get ahead of myself in applying this and talk about corporately? We come in this room, I remind you as often as I can, God doesn't live in this building. We try not to even call it the church because it's not the church. You are the church. This is the church house, right? This is where the church meets. But coming into this room, there is a sense of expectation that we're going to meet together, open the scripture together, sing some songs together, and we're going to meet God together. And one of the things that we long for as a church family is that we will have a sense of awe. God shows up. There's a sense that God's working. There's a, a sense that God's doing something as we sing, as we pray, as we study his word. They were filled with awe. At the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, remember I said this is descriptive, not prescriptive. We don't believe we're in a season of signs and wonders right now. We don't, we don't think that's what God's doing. But God was validating through these apostles. And there are places today... I don't want to get into the, the details of theology and cessation of, of gifts and all those kind of things. But I will say this. There are places today where missionaries pray in Jesus' name and something happens and people realize Jesus is alive. They can't seek any medical help. They don't know what they're going to do. And they come and they ask the Christian, will you pray in Jesus' name? And they do, and something incredible happens. These signs and wonders, these things that were taking place as the apostles were gathering them together and praying, God was working, and the people knew God was showing up. Now, they were together. You know, it's hard to have fellowship if you're not together. They were finding ways to get together, and they had things in common. This is the word koinonia. Not too many uh, Greek words you need to learn, but this is one you can learn. Koinos, where we get our word coin. Commonality. 
This is an idea of fellowship that they were sharing things together. They had things in common. Now some have tried to say that this is showing us that true Christianity needs to be socialistic. That's not at all what this means. What it is saying is that they took their property and they were willing to sell things if they needed to to meet the needs of others. Some have said one of the last things to get saved is your purse, your pocketbook, you know. But there ought to be evidence that God is working in your life by the way you see your stuff. That you know that material things will never satisfy the deepest longing of your soul. So, they were meeting needs and they continued to meet together in the temple. And they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And they were praising God and enjoying favor with all the people. As the Lord was adding those who were being saved. This morning I'd like to ask you if you have a handout, if you have a pen, if not if you can just use your little memory and just take a picture of this. I believe that looking at the cross can be one of the easiest ways for us to express our goals and what we're looking for together as the people of God. I believe that there's direction to the cross. Not only is it a place where we come to know Jesus, but there's some directional things about looking up and looking out that help us. On the front of your ministry guide every week, we're talking about encountering God, experiencing community, and engaging the world. You can use the direction of the, of the cross to even help you remember that. We're looking to encounter God. We're looking to have a sense of being fulfilled in community. And then we're engaging the world. So now I want us to go back through this text. And I want us to look at the things that were described and see how we're doing in our own lives. So let's just back all the way up and start over and take an inventory. Devoted. How would you evaluate your devotion when it comes to the Word of God? Do you have a hunger for the Scriptures? We challenged you in the beginning of this year that we would read through the New Testament together. If you didn't get started with us, you can start now. We were just reading a chapter a day Five days a week, take the weekend to, mess, to catch up on those you messed up, right? And so you can follow through. It's an easy reading plan. And I'll tell you, I confess publicly to you, I'm doing it, but I'm not doing it the way it's on that little guideline, all right? I'm jumping around, reading some other places, but I'm checking off my boxes, right? I'm moving through the, the New Testament this year as we set a goal to be in the Scripture every day. Do you have a personal devotion plan? Do you have a time when you are sitting before the Lord? The women are going to be doing that this week, learning something about how to spend a day before the Lord. If you invite me to a prayer meeting, I'm bringing my Bible, all right? Because I'm expecting that God's going to use the Bible to speak to me as I use my mouth to speak to Him, right? And so there's this engaging of seeing what God said as we're devoted to the Scripture, to the apostles' teaching, to the teaching about Jesus and how He worked in the church. Now, how does all this apply to the Spirit? Only the Spirit can open up our lives to the truth about Jesus. Only the indwelling Holy Spirit can become the teacher to our hearts about God's Word. And so as the Spirit of God indwells the people of God, there's a longing for the 
teaching of scripture. There's a longing for fellowship. You know, as I talk to pastors and church leaders about pre-COVID, COVID, and our dreams for post-COVID, <laughs> and we, we talk about what's happening in the church, a lot of people for a long time weren't able to gather in any fashion. And then those coming back say, you know, maybe 30% of the people show up now. And some are asking, have we, during this season of not worshiping regularly together, have we somehow found ourselves deciding we don't need to be together that often and we can just kind of do it every now and then? I grew up, you know, I'm an old dude. <laughs> I grew up in a generation where you went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. But you didn't just do that. You went to Sunday school and church, all right? And then you went to some kind of training classing and, e and evening. And then you came on Wednesday. We made a decision when we were relaunching Shalford that we did not want to be so programmatic that you felt like we were keeping score on when you came and that we were keeping score. If you're real spiritual, you'll be involved in this, this, and this. But if you're kind of spiritual, you'll just be involved in two of them. And then, you know, if you're really kind of lazy spiritually, you'll show up one time to worship. No, we don't, we don't have a scorecard like that. But I'll tell you, there ought to be a scorecard in our heart of how often we want to be together with the people of God because it's very clear that the Spirit of God moves us to be with the people of God for the purpose of growing in our faith. I know we all heard about the old guy who got married and his wife said, you never tell me that you love me. And he said, I told you once, and if I ever change my mind, I'll tell you again, right? That's crazy, right? I mean, I, I have at least five times a day, I have to figure out a way, a fresh way to tell KK that I love her. What about your desire for the people of God? Do you long for that kind of fellowship? Do you want to be a part of being together? Do you want to be a part of breaking bread? I don't know about you, but I've had too much bread, okay? So can, can we just do it another way without the bread? But longing to be together in fellowship. That, that seems to be one of the things that people are no pun intended, most hungry for, <laughs> you know, following up in COVID. Man, I want to be able to go out to eat with people. I want to be together. And, boy, as we dream about this new sunny springtime and outdoor activities, we just dream that there'll be something that will happen in the people of God in a post-COVID environment. Maybe it's not quite here yet. I'm not trying to rush it prematurely. But I am saying there should be something in our lives that long to be together. And we long to pray. The prayers, the regular praying, the praying together when we gather, but learning that prayer is the talking and the listening to God. Learning that when we pray, we're not just talking at Him, but we're listening to Him. In your marriage or any significant relationship you have, if you're not talking, you're not growing, if you're not sharing, you're not growing. And if we're not praying, we're not growing. 
one time KK and I were out in a restaurant and I said, all right, look around. Start looking at the couples. The couples who are here alone, what do you notice? They're eating, yeah. What else do you notice? Mm, they're just eating. They're not saying a word. They've heard each other's stories. <laughs> you know, they, they, they don't need to talk and reminisce necessarily. And we decided, this was probably 20 years ago, we decided when we go out to eat, if we don't have anything to talk about, we're just going to talk anyway. Because we're not going to let somebody just look at us and go, there they are, that old couple that just sit there and eat, never say anything to each other, you know. Hey, what about with God? Is there any longing to talk to him? He wants to hear. Not, not, you say, but he already knows. Well, I know that, but he still wants. He made you to relate to him. He wants you to talk with him about what's on your mind, what's on your heart. He wants, you to, he wants us to have a sense of awe. Do you wake up in the day anticipating that God's going to do something special? Are you looking for him to put people in your path? Do you have that awareness, that keen awareness of his work? And how would we describe that among ourselves? They were together. They had things in common. There's just something about fellowship that pokes you. Some of us have memorized a verse that says that we should not neglect coming together as is the habit of some. But we know that we need to be together all the more to motivate each other, to stir each other up to loving good deeds and to have a generous heart. You know, sometimes the way you give is like looking in a mirror telling you, what are you trusting? What are you investing in? I think most of you know that we have a ministry to missionaries that we try to do. It's more of our full-time calling and God allows us to be a part of the Shallowford family. And when people give to our organization, almost without exception, I find a way to write them back. And I don't mean to be in a rut, but I seem to be saying kind of the same thing when I say, thanks for investing in us so that we can invest in missionaries. What are you investing in? What are you giving to? What do your possessions tell you about your worship and about your heart? What about glad and sincere hearts? Joy describing who we are. And what about your heart being involved and not just your head and your hands? Praising God and watching the result. God adding people every single day. Well, I told you I wanted you to look at that cross and we have shared with some of our church leaders a pattern for disciple making and I want to show you this morning how you can look at that pattern for disciple making and you can see some of the same things we just read. First, if down at the bottom you see the cross, all that we are in Christ, all that our new spirit life is, is anchored in the Bible. Growing from being planted in Jesus, we find our identity in Christ and we see life as it flows. This morning, does that describe you? 
I hope it describes you. I hope it describes what you are looking for in a church family. For those of you that are already part of us, for those of you that are visiting us, unapologetically, we're going to tell you, when we come together, it's going to be Bible-centered. It's going to be looking in the Scripture to see what God says and see what we can do to understand Him and what He wants us to know about Him as we walk with Him. How would you measure, take this inventory, how would you measure your frequency, your openness to the Scripture, and how would you measure our church family as we try to be grounded in Scripture? What about prayer? I always like seeing prayer at the cross beam because you're praying to God about your relationships with Him and you're praying about your relationships with others. Remember, we said we're trying to encounter God, we're trying to experience community, and we're trying to engage the world. So as we look at praying, what do you pray about? <laughs> what do you not pray about? Say, quoted from Emily, be anxious for nothing, but in everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Not just when you face a physical challenge, a health challenge, but when you just live, you're going to have challenge. Pray about everything. Worship. Would you think that describes what we just did? Does that describe the attitude of your life to be a worshipful follower of Christ? We saw how they had this sense of awe. We saw how they were going regularly. We saw how they were praising God. Worship. What about fellowship? You know, one of the things we hear the most about our church family is when people start opening themselves up to relationship, then we have an opportunity for genuine community. And what's so much fun is to watch how God puts people together that would never get together any other way except in church. I promise you, we're praying through the roller, and I have to chuckle sometimes when I think, you know, I don't know any reason why that guy would have a friendship with that lady. I started to say old lady, but I didn't want to offend anybody, all right? I mean, so you, you think about it. Look at our generations. We describe our church family. We say, well, half of them are about like me and half of them are about like Johnny, right? I mean, we, we talk about the generations but why do we even want to be together? Because there's that longing to fellowship together as the people of God. But I want you to watch this. Get the directional flow. I'm a visual learner. Get the directional flow. As our lives are in the Bible and we're praying about everything and we're having a God-word attitude, it changes the way we see each other and it changes the way we see the world. And if there's no flow of life, what's clogging up the system? If there's no flow, why is the spirit being hindered? Is it because we're ignoring one of those things in our life? And yet that's the expectation of how God works in our life? <clears throat> Some of you know that we live in a old house it was built by my father-in-law at the end of the 1940s okay that's when he started remodeled it in the 60s so when we moved in about 10 years ago it was 
up to date, 1962 or something. You know, that was, and so, I mean, lots that needed to be done. So we tried to remodel the kitchen and the living area. We promised Big D we'd leave alone his bedroom and his, his den. We had to change the bathroom because he couldn't, he couldn't get in the, the tub, so we had to change it to a walk-in shower that he could get in. But we left it, and, you know, we were trying to live and, and enjoy the space. And then, last year, something happened. The plumbing clogged up. And I don't mean just clogged up. I mean coming out from under the toilet, you know. It was everywhere. Go down to the house, it was just water just coming out of every joint, going everywhere. I remember Johnny and Matthew and I were having a staff meeting on the little deck one day when we had to get one plumber to come. And we were trying our best. We couldn't get a plumber that could figure out what was wrong with it. Finally, one guy came. And he said, I don't want any money. Let me just show you. Look, look at how this pipe goes. It goes down like this, and then it, it goes back up and goes out to the street. Problem is, that's called a, a belly, and water can't flow through that belly. So you've got to figure out a way to get that pipe back up. And we realized during some of the remodeling, some people crawling around underneath doing some electrical work had crawled on the pipes. You know, it just broke the bands that were holding them up, that were broken down, and so the, the water couldn't flow. So got under there, tried to jack it up, tried to figure out a way to reband it. Finally, one day I was under there. KK comes underneath, and she says, let me do it. I said, you're kidding. She said, no, let me do it. I said, do you see how much room? No problem. Let me clap. So she squeezes up in there. I jack it up, and I give her a cement block, and she props it up, and we haven't had any trouble since. We're ready to sell the house and move before it breaks again, right? <laughs> but it's worked. I wonder this morning, is there any part of you that's broken down? Look, it, it just starts with admitting it. I'm not trying to dump condemnation on you. I'm trying to beckon you, to plead with you, to invite you to participate in the spirit life of God's church. The work of God's spirit among the people of God. Whether we're together in worship or whether we're scattered into our daily lives, do you see these things evident in your life? You are anchored in Scripture. You're talking to God about everything. You, you're worshipful. You're, you're holding in open hands all that He's given you. And you know that He blessed you to make you a blessing. You're longing to be around other Christians and encourage them. And you're looking for ways that you can share Christ with a world that desperately needs Him. This past weekend, I was talking to some college kids, and they were telling me that they're using the three circles approach to sharing their faith. And I had to grin, and we talked about it a little bit. We've got some books somewhere that we can get you one. And in that three circles approach of drawing how God created us and how we're broken and how we need the gospel, I told them, I said, you know, the book's designed for you to start with creation and show how we've all sinned. But if you really want to know where to start a gospel conversation, start it with brokenness. Because we live in a broken world. Broken lives, broken systems, 
all kinds of brokenness. And the only way to understand how brokenness fits is because God didn't create a broken world. It was our sinfulness that brought us into that brokenness. And Christ was willing to come into the world that he had made that we had messed up and come after us in his love to make a way to deliver us out of our broken hearts and broken lives and restore us back to himself. That's the flow of the gospel. I wonder this morning, how is that flowing in your life? These new believers had responded to the message. Peter told them that God raised him from the dead. They were pierced to the heart when they heard that Jesus was back alive. They said, what do we need to do? He said, if you'll repent, turn from your own ways, put your trust in Christ, you can know life everlasting. And you can know this promise that's for you and for your children and for those who are far off. And many of them came that day and gave their life to Jesus. And when they did, they started growing like this, hungry for the word, praying regularly, worshiping God, fellowshipping with other believers, and finding ways to put Christ on display, and people wanted what they had. Let's put this into practice. Where do I need to grow? I thought this morning of making sure everybody had a connect card and just letting you write one word on there, okay? I don't know if you've got one nearby or if you have a pen, but I'd love for you before you leave today to take a connect card, drop it in the offering basket, even if you don't have a basket, <laughs> and put one of these words on there. Where do I need to grow? Which one of these would describe? If we were putting together a personal growth plan for you, which one would you say you wanted to attack first? Where do I need to grow? Hey, what about us? Where do we need to grow? If we're going to be a spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-life kind of church, don't be afraid of those terms. You don't have to be Pentecostal, charismatic to use the word spirit. That's who God is. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If we're going to be Know that he lives in us by his spirit. How do we put that life on display? And what are we lacking as a church? What do you think? If you look at these, what do we lack the most? I'm not necessarily one that believes you ought to work off of surveys because, you know, where people are at that moment don't necessarily tell you what you need to do. Leaders need to have enough vision that they can figure out the survey. But hey, I'm, I want to listen. I want us to listen together. Where do we need to grow? A few minutes ago, you prayed, Lord, speak to my heart. Is he speaking to you now? For you see, whatever God identifies in our life, his plan is not work harder. <laughs> His plan is talk to me about it. Submit to me in that area. 
Look to me for guidance. Listen to how James said it. A moment ago, we talked about James looking in a mirror. Look at what he says in James 4. Do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he calls to dwell in us? We don't talk that much about God being a jealous God. Did you know he's, he's jealous for you? Because he knows when you cram the wrong things into your life, you'll never be fulfilled. He wants you to walk with him in these ways that we've just seen. So what do you do when you believe you need to grow? He gives more grace. That's why the scripture says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This morning, whichever one of those areas you choose, would you be willing to say, Lord, I need to grow. I submit my life to you. Would you show me what I can do to be more anchored in the scripture, to pray more, to see you in worship, to fellowship with other believers, and to share my faith? And trust me, if you know one of those areas where you want to grow, nothing would bring me or Johnny or Matthew greater delight than for you to say, hey, I want to grow in this area. Bring it on. Let's talk. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for how, by your Spirit, you came to give us new life. And Lord, we thank you that when we look in your word, we see the ways evidenced that you work in and through the heart of a believer. So Lord, today I pray for these, our church family, those here, those that couldn't be with us, but I pray for our church. I pray for some of our new friends that have joined us, that whatever the future holds, may we be described as people who long for the spirit life to be evidenced in us by the way we hunger for your word, by the way we agree and share together in prayer, by the sense of worship that we have, for the sweet fellowship of other believers and the longing to see you add to your church those who don't yet know Jesus but need to. For this is our prayer. In Jesus' name. Mm-hmm.